Recently, when I've been thinking about rolling for change, I've been thinking about it in terms of cataloging states of play. You know, we come to the table, and I believe that there might be a cartography of states of mind that we go through while we're playing role-playing games, tabletop games, even video games for some to some extent. And what I'm hoping to do in the next, I don't know, 10 episodes or so is is kind of build that catalog uh, so we can talk about our states of play as almost like the genetic code of what we do while, we, while we're playing games. And I knew when I started Rolling for Change that we have to, at some point, talk about the impact of creativity in gaming. And I imagine that we'll be coming back to it many times. But this is a discussion between Brian, myself, and Josue. And we are discussing the idea of how games, number one, bring us creativity, and number two, how we come to a game creatively. And both of these things are very important to me, but they're part and parcel of why I play tabletop games. Hopefully the discussion takes you somewhere and helps you to think about your own process while playing games. Hopefully it opens your mind to new creative ideas. Either way, I think we had a productive discussion, and I hope that you enjoy it as well. Welcome to Rolling for Change. My name is Woody Harris. I am your host, and I am joined by my favorite co-hosts in the world, Josue Cardona and Brian Peace. Hello. Hello. Ready to talk about some games. Ready to talk about creativity in gaming. So let, let's start out by uh, talking about some games we've been playing. I, I think this is always a good place to evangelize the hobby, and uh, then we can move into talking about creativity in gaming. Um, I'm I'm pretty excited for this particular topic. I've had this on my mind for a while. Hostway, why don't you give us a start? Tell us what's going on in in your gaming world. Oh, okay. So um, I recently played uh, Spider Man on PS4, oh which is God. made by Insomniac Games, and that is a good game. It is a single player game. It is a is a wonderful story. I think it is the best. It's better than. In my opinion, it is better than any Spider-Man movie that has come out ever. Uh, the story is that good, and oh, it is so much fun! It is so much fun, and I'll probably bring it up again as we as we talk about creativity. But it is, oh man, it is it is so good, so much fun. So, so what is it that's so good about it? Because I, I I'm chomping at the bit to play it. I have it sitting here in a bag on my desk that I haven't touched it yet. But what is it that you're like? What was so great about it? So the story is amazing, but you feel like Spider-Man. There's the feeling of moving through the city is incredible. And they've made it as as realistic within that world as it can be. So when you um when you shoot a web, it's actually hitting a building. If there's no tall building, you can't, you know, it's it's, it's games in the past, Spider-Man games in the past have made it so that if you uh, shot a web to to swing, it would literally just go into the air and not touch anything <laughs> uh, okay but here all right. it's all very realistic so you're moving through the city as it is and and that once you start getting good at that it is it is a great great feeling and it also has tons of gadgets and things that you can use lots of suits and it's just it's just a lot of fun yeah and i've heard unlike the um arkham games the batman games each different suit has variable powers 
Oh, yeah. Yep. So there's 28 different suits in the game and 28 different powers. So each one gives you a different ability. Like the one you start with is called, I think it's the web bloom. So you jump up into the air, kind of spin in a circle, and then just shoot webs in every direction and kind of like clear the room. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, I'm really excited about this one. All right. Brian, what about you? What's something you've been playing? Well, um, the only two games I've played very recently are games that I played with you. Um, <laughs> so one of the ones that really stuck out to me was um, Megaland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a push your luck game similar to Ink and Gold slash Diamant, except in this one you have hit points. Your individual adventures um, going in search of monsters and treasures and... You never know what's going to come up next. Everybody grabs a treasure and then decides if they're going to continue on the adventure. You flip over a card and if you're lucky, you get a treasure that has some um, skips, which allows you to basically avoid certain creatures, um, extra hearts. You can gather treasures to purchase extra hearts to give yourself more health. Um, in the beginning of the game, you're very weak. You want to get one or two treasures and run like heck. Um, later on in the game, like I did, you can uh, start beefing up and taking all the hits and just keep gathering treasures. Um, we had a couple different players. One um, just kept pushing their luck and kept failing. And another, and I was conservative at first and then started pushing my luck. And you can figure out based on once you get used to a couple times through the creatures, you can figure out to a mathematical certainty can I survive every creature in this deck or not based on the jumps and the hearts that I have. And I was able to clear all the monsters and get all the treasures about two or three times, I believe. So it's kind of a halfway push your luck and halfway problem mitigation game. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's some memory involved in this one because if you can't remember all the cards, I mean, one of the so in order to do the mathematical thing you're talking about, you have to sort of have an idea of every card in the deck and how many times it's appeared, so that you can can have that kind of accuracy. If you don't have that kind of memory, it may play havoc on you. But uh, this is one of those Ryan Lockett games, and I think it's a Target exclusive. Ryan Lockett usually runs out of Red Raven Games, which is his own. Uh, his own publisher, but I, I think in this case, I think it's a Target exclusive. and uh, As in you can't buy it anywhere else but Target? That's, I believe that's the case, yes. Whoa. Okay. There's a few like that right now that are Target exclusives where you can't, if you go to Board Game Geek, you're going to end up getting um, you know, somebody's uh, copy that they bought from Target and they're selling to you now over, over the thing. Or they bought them at uh, Gen Con, which... It probably had some uh, some possibility, but I'm not sure that this is a Red Raven game, even though it's a Ryan Lockett game. Hmm. It is a Red Raven game. Oh, well, fine. See, someone had to go and prove me wrong. <laughs> My Google Foo is strong, Sensei. Yes, I am aware and I am appreciative. Um, anyway, Ryan Lockett is, uh, he's kind of created his own universe, and, and uh, you want to talk about creativity in game. this games, this guy is a master art designer and if you see any of his games above and below um near and far uh city of iron all of these have his this kind of uh weird almost like caricature steampunk kind of thing going on 
with uh, strange robots and strange creatures, and uh, it's just a fantastic game. I, I, at, at least for a beginner level, um, it's it's great. Like for kids, as a good start starting pressure luck game, fantastic. So I will offer in Stuffed Fables. Now this is uh, from Asmodee, and it's done by Jerry Hawthorne, the same guy who did Mice and Mystics. And uh, it is, uh, there, there was a comic a little while ago called, uh, I think it was called Stuff Fables, or it was Stuff Something. Um, it, was, uh, it was basically a story of a child who um, has kind of come of age to move into a big girl bed. And now her stuffed animals are her protectors. And while she sleeps at night, uh, they have to protect her from all of the dark, evil things that are under the bed that want to do something to the little girl. So it's it's almost kind of a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing that's going on where you're kind of working through it and you're there's a book and the book becomes the board. Every time you, you change the piece of the story, you move the page to the next page and you start a new new board. But you have various possibilities while you are trying to keep this little girl safe. You you can use uh, various artifacts that you pick up, like you might find the scissors, or you might find um, some other kind of weapon that you can your, you can yourself use. But if the monsters get to you, they knock the stuffing out of you, and you have a certain amount of stuffing that's in you. The stuffing is kind of like your hit points. If you get all the stuffing knocked out of you, you're just you're you're laying down until somebody else can restuff you. Um, so the only way to really lose the game seems to be if all three characters lose all their stuffing before saving the little girl. Um, but you talk about creative. This is um, this is a masterwork of storytelling. Now there's not a lot of options when it comes to making choices, and and we could get into talking more about what options mean when we talk about creativity, but. Um, in terms of like creating an interactive story that you can be involved in for a board game as opposed to a video game, it does a really good job of that. Um, and there's a little bit of role playing, but not really a lot. I mean, you can you can role play if you want to. Uh, but uh, that is Stuff Fables, and it, it's pretty highly rated on Board Game Geek. If you want to check it out, I'll go again. Um, I've also been playing a game called Into the Breach, which is a turn-based strategy video game. Um, so it's a one player. It's made by a company called Subset Games. They made a game a few years ago called FTL, Faster Than Light. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, you you play these short rounds where you're on an island. And on this island, you play a team of three uh, different mech um, characters. And the bad guys are like these giant um, al- bug alien robot things. And... I believe it's procedurally generated, which means that every single island is um, created at random, and then the enemies are placed at random, and so are the civilians. And then, so you get to place your pieces. And again, it's turn it's turn based, so you have um, basically a certain set of actions that you can do in each turn. And it is it is a lot of fun as you continue to play the game. You uh, unlock other teams. I. Th- think there's about 12 different teams um so each team of mechs has completely different abilities and and uh, i don't know it's it's really cool because uh you your rounds are very short right you're in the island you only have a certain um number of of moves per per round and then maybe like five or six rounds per per island and 
it's like I like the pace of it and it's it's like playing chess but you know in a very sci-fi setting what platform um that is it's on PC on Mac and now on switch uh, I've been playing okay. it on switch okay it's a good playing game <laughs> excellent well, my next one is uh, Downforce. Now, this one I've only played one time. I played it at Dice Tower a little while back. Uh, this is from Restoration Games. And Restoration Games, for those who don't know, Rob Davio basically said, uh, I want to recreate these old games that people would really like to have on their table, but maybe they need some sprucing up. Maybe they need some additional help along the way. And maybe we just need to update them. And so he took this game, Downforce, which is originally by Wolfgang Kramer, and uh, re-implemented it for it. For the, actually, the the game was originally called Top Race, but it was by Wolfgang Kranger, and he re-implemented it as Downforce. But Downforce is a racing game. Basically, you have cars that uh, you have cards that you play for the cars to move, and the, each card allows every car on the board to move some amount. And we all have a random set of cards that have that, and so you're trying to build your strategy so that you can get in front of people and then play the right cards to stay in front of people. Um, so it has a real race feel to it, but you're always kind of moving other people along. And uh, even though I don't really think that the game that I played at Dice Tower was an effective game because the guys didn't really know how to play very well, I could see the potential in the game from playing it. And now... You know, I'm a sucker for for like someone who uh, re-implements or does something to a game to make it even more fun, which people have started putting in. Uh, they they buy the Monopoly games with the Mario. Yeah, you can ring a bell. Uh, they play the Monopoly game buy the Monopoly game with the Mario Kart stuff, and then they pull the Mario Kart stuff out and put it as the cars for Downforce. Um, that even makes me happier. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, putting my own Mario Kart. Uh, downforce together um, some people have also used uh, cars the Disney Pixar cars you can use that as well I mean you guess you can just use any car that you want as long as it matches the colors in the cards that are made available for the game um, but uh, yeah this one is a, a, a pr I've, I've found myself to be very excited about race games and I'm not sure what that's about there's something in my DNA that makes me want to race with other people hmm. yeah so that's Downforce by Restoration Games. I really want to play some board game race games. I don't think I've ever played one. Yeah, there's some really good ones. Um, cool. Yeah, we'll have to... You have to come down here and play with us, Hostway. One day. One day I will. One day we'll have a game just for Hostway. A game day yes. just for Hostway. <laughs> we'll just invite people to the house, and uh, it'll be just to come and see Hostway and play games. <laughs> Okay. So my next one is uh, Power Grid, the card game. Ooh, yeah. Now, yeah. Now, if you've ever played Power Grid, a lot of people take issue with the uh, spatial aspect of the game, the board itself. There's a lot of math involved, and that part of the game can get extraordinarily mean as people cut each other off and limit their growth potential. And if your growth potential gets cut off, it's going to be later in the game before you can you know, have a comeback. So this game boils it down to its essentials. The most fun parts of the game, which are the, uh, the power, power station auctions and the, um, the uh, resource purchasing. So you have to bid 
for uh, power stations with the other players. And then you have to, you know, based on, you know, your positioning, you're going to buy, um, you're going to buy resources to power your power stations earlier or later. And it basically boils it down to my favorite parts of the game. Yeah, this is, uh, Power Grid is, uh, of course, a fantastic game in the, the cards. When you do it with the cards, the streamlined version of it just makes it a lot more, I don't know, for me, a lot more interesting. So does anybody else have any other games they want to talk about before we move into our theme? Um, yeah, um, the the other game I've played is I'm, I'm visiting my my sister and my, my niece and nephew and my brother-in-law are currently uh, obsessed with Pokemon Go. Yeah. And and Pokemon in general. So my niece and nephew do nothing but play Pokemon Go, watch Pokemon, the anime series. And since that wasn't enough, um, they started buying Pokemon trading card game cards. So when I was going to come visit, uh, I told them, oh, hey, you know, oh, my niece asked me, uh, hey, Dio, do you have any of these cards? And I was like, no, I haven't played in years. Oh, my God, I do. I have a deck from like 20 years ago. <laughs> So, uh, so I went to my mom's house and I found um, my old cards and we played her with a brand new 2018 um, deck that she bought at Target and I played with my 1998 deck. And it was um, it was definitely not fair because <laughs> these things keep getting rebalanced, right? But uh, you know, it's the Pokemon trading card game, so it's you know, uh, 60 uh, card deck. Um, each player has and it's a you're battling and it was it was uh, a lot of fun i i always want to get back into into more magic like i, I really really want to get into magic i haven't bought any cards in years i would love to play more often but uh that was that was a lot of fun so unbalanced but did you did you win any so i did win because um my niece didn't want her pokemon to faint so she kept pulling them out before I, uh, like she pulled out her strongest Pokemon because they were her favorites. Mm -hmm. She's seven. So she was pulling them out before uh, I could I, I could defeat them. Um, so she kept pulling out her strongest ones. So I kept defeating her weaker ones, but she didn't like as much. So I ended up winning. <laughs> I almost think that, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I almost think that maybe it's more balanced if you're playing an old deck, she's playing a new deck that's got more power to it. But, you know, maybe, I don't know. Just a thought. Maybe there's some handicapping going on as a result of having the older deck that allows you to play on a uh, level playing field? Yeah, it depends um, which direction it's balanced in, right? That could change from like year to year. But the deck that I had was definitely much weaker <laughs> than the one she had. She, she could have destroyed me very early on, but she just didn't want to use her strongest Pokemon. So I was able... It took a very long time for me to defeat her, <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> A lot of creativity was involved. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, this that does kind of tie into what we're to our discussion today about creativity. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of games, uh, collectible card games, are the play is not as creative as building the decks. You have to be yeah. very creative to figure out how those decks fit together and balancing the cool factor with the actual gameplay factor. Yeah. Yeah, so let's get into talking about creativity. Uh, maybe we should start with some kind of definition of what is creativity. And I, I know that many researchers that that study creativity have different 
sorts of ways of explaining this, but how would you guys explain what creativity is? I, I guess I would say the, the words that come to mind when we talk about creativity is options when it comes to, to, game, to games in particular. Okay. Just having many options. Like you were, you were talking about um, stuffed, stuffed fables. Stuffed fables. And that game sounds amazing. And it sounds creative in, from the designer's perspective, right? right? And, but, but I think of that more as innovative, right? It's like, oh, that's very different than anything out there. It, that's, that doesn't really help with my creativity. Like I might recognize that as a creative game, but there isn't, there's no um, creativity on my part necessarily playing it. Something like the Spider-Man would have 28 different suits and powers that I can combine or Into the Breach where I have 12 different teams that I can choose from. Everything is different. And and the Pokemon trading card game, that's why I brought up these particular games. I have so many different options that I can, I can from the beginning or and, and along the way, um, be very creative in the sense that I, I can choose to do many different things and not just have one, um, one strategy. And again, like, yeah, you could have different strategies in, in chess or I guess even checkers maybe. Right. But in these games, you're literally playing a completely different game depending on the pieces that you start with and decisions that you make along the way. Yeah. Creativity is sort of using your imagination and your, um, own unique perspective, your kind of original ideas to produce something. Yeah, that gets at it a little bit. Uh, I, I, the The definition I kept seeing in a lot of different researchers' information was it has to be something that is innovative. So I like that use of the word innovative and useful. So I guess making a difference between what imagination is and, but I wouldn't say imagination is not useful, but I, I guess in terms of innovative and useful, meaning that, that you've, you've developed something that suddenly comes at hand to be ready for a particular situation, ready for a particular problem. I mean, it's almost like problem-solving uh, skill that we develop as we, as we grow up, is, is developing more, well, I'll get back into that. I, I think maybe the word you're looking for is, has, it has value. Whether it's tangible or intangible, it provides some kind of value. Yeah, maybe a solution. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I like I like that. Yeah, it's like innovative can just be different, but you're using creativity to to solve a problem, to actually get something done. Like there's an there's a creative there's action involved. What do you think about the difference in the idea of imagination and creativity? So I think imagination you're just thinking things up, right? There's it's. It's you can you can have many different ideas, but you aren't necessarily um, applying it um, to solve a problem. Now I've got that stuck in my head because you you said it, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, so creativity requires the production of something or some idea, something not necessarily just in the mind. So if you go back to the root words, imagine means to think of something to bring something into your mind creativity the root is create it's bringing something to fruition and creativity means using the imagination and putting it into action oh that's perfect i love that i like it i like it let's keep it (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, leave it to the English teacher. There, there are multiple, you know, when I went to Saybrook University, I was surprised to discover they had a creativity studies department and surprised to discover that you can make an academic life out of studying creativity. Um, so it, it just, uh, it surprised me that there was that much focus on it, but creativity is really one of our most important resources in, in our development. And that adds a strange piece because I, many articles I was reading said basically that your creativity is much higher when you're younger than when you're an adult. Um, they had these global creativity scales that they were looking at, and they said basically as you grow up, you you're, you're, you lose points in this particular scale. Um, and I didn't get to see the scale, so I didn't have a real clear picture of things. But uh, I think games, bringing it to you know sort of our focus, I think games are tools for bringing or awakening that that sort of latent creativity in us that we kind of lose from, you know, when we're playing as children, we have lots of time to develop creativity and be be imaginative and creative all at once. And then as we get older, we sort of hone these skills into problem-solving skills. And then the game comes in front of us, and now we have a platform onto which to project that creativity once again. Yeah, you know, um, I, I talked about Pokemon earlier, and my my niece is learning spelling words at school, and my sister is shocked that you know she doesn't enjoy her ten to fifteen spelling words every week, but in the last two months she's learned four to five hundred Pokemon names. Oh wow, you know, and that's it's just when do you have the opportunity to? learn something in a way that's fun or to exercise your brain in a way that's that engaging and that exciting. And for many of us, right, like as, as school goes on, as our lives go on, we have less and less opportunities to do those types of things. And then, yeah, like if you're playing games, those are probably one of the only opportunities in your life to be creative, to have different options and try different things and get immersed in something that you, that you find exciting. Yeah, as adults, we start developing um, the ability to see optimal solutions to things, whereas a child, we don't. So in not knowing those optimal solutions, we try a variety of different things, which might arrive at a brand new optimal solution. But as an adult, you found ways that work, and you typically try to stick to those ways that work. Yeah. And even even like beyond optimal, like you just don't have that many choices, right? Like, oh, you're driving today. Well, you have maybe three different routes and each one has two lanes and like that's it. You can't just like off road, cut through, fly over, go underground. You could you go could against go traffic. Like you to can't work, do that. To work, you could just drive in reverse somehow. I can't imagine doing that. No, there's a law against that. Is See, there really a law limited. against that? <laughs> Absolutely. It's just a matter of turning the uh, never mind. <laughs> So, you know, you're pointing out something really important, which is that the we've honed our skills, basically. We've lost some of this edge, or we're not even thinking about it anymore, because you're right, we're looking for the optimal solution. When people are brainstorming, when people are, you know, they say, don't try to censor yourself. And so what's happening a lot is we're censoring ourselves in some sense, and that keeps us from seeing a full picture of what's possible. So how do games then open that door? Well, there are some games that kind of force creativity. It's 
kind of the core of the game. You must be creative in order to play it. And there are some that encourage creativity where you can play the game without the creativity, but there's an extra layer added if you engage in the creativity of the game. Can you give some examples? Yeah. Um, for instance, um, code names. You have to be very creative to come up with clues that can possibly match multiple words. And it's part of the game to be creative like that. Um, Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, those kind of games. You must be creative to play those. Um, it's the, the whole game is about making a story. So you have to be come up with creative solutions to things. Um, an example of a good game that um, encourages creativity is a card game called Gloom. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, in that game, you have transparent cards where some aspects of the cards are non-transparent and they alter certain family members. And what you're trying to do is take those family members and lead them through the worst possible god-awful scenarios to make them as depressed as possible until eventually they die with a horrible backstory to them and you can play the game strictly by playing cards and saying i play this it gives it a plus and boom you're done but it's there's another layer added to it if you describe how you've added that to them and give it a storytelling element yeah it takes the flavor out if you're not like the game is meant to you're meant to develop the worst possible scenario for these these characters that you're playing because you have to die unhappy. That's the goal in the game. Well, I've <laughs> I've seen people play this game and perfectly well enjoy it because they don't like that creative aspect. I've seen them perfectly well enjoy it just playing the game as is. And I've seen people have a great time creating stories around it. And I've seen mixed groups where some people are like, I don't want to create stories and they just play the game and love it. And they enjoy hearing other people's stories, but they just, they don't feel comfortable doing it themselves. Yeah. That's something I've been thinking a lot about in for this conversation, because you could play, I don't know, like you said, code names at the beginning, you could have play with someone who just has one clue that they always use. Like that's their go-to because they think that's the optimal one or the perfect one. And that's the only one that they'll ever use or other games. I don't know, even like something again, like a, like a trading card game, you could have that one deck and you have that one play, like your, your whole deck is just designed to, to do one um, super uh, uh, attack at the end. And that's your only winning strategy. And every single time that person plays, they only play that one way and they don't switch things up. So I think it, it's possible even within the games for people to have to not be creative at all and just have like that one option that they that they see or want to do. And and to Brian's point, like they could they could enjoy that. <laughs> That's not creativity. Right. Right. That's just um rote like repetition or, or you know, just um one track mind. I don't know. Have you ever played Jackbox games? I love I have. Jackbox I games. Have. There's one in specific that comes to mind, and it's Quiplash. Oh, Quiplash, yeah, yeah. Where, the, yeah, it it plays a lot like that uh, 1970s TV show Match Game. They give you a prompt, and you've got to give an answer. And those answers, the more inappropriate they are, or the more mm -hmm. outlandish they are, the better. Yeah. So, I mean, you must be creative in that game. It is part and parcel of the entire game is to be as creative in, as possible with your answers. Period. Or you could just tell the same joke over and over again. Yeah, but you won't win that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, because exactly. everybody's going to vote in that in that game. You have to. That's right, right, Brian. You have to vote. Everybody votes to tell whether yeah. whether or not this person came up with the best idea or the most enjoyable idea. 
And since it's an online game, the prompts they give are extremely variable, and there are a great number of them. The odds of coming across the same one twice are pretty slim. Yeah, I yeah. think I need to play some Jackbox games today. <laughs> um, <laughs> one game that I thought of really strongly when I started this idea of uh, talking about creativity in gaming is, and it's, it's storytelling games, it seems like we're getting into the idea that a lot of uh, storytelling games have a more creative aspect to it. But in this case, it's called Once Upon a Time. And you can see this video on uh, Will Wheaton's tabletop because uh, he early on used this game as one of his go-to games for the show. But in this game, you are basically developing a hand of cards and you use that hand of cards to create a story. And the story is kind of set in the storybook world, but you still have a lot of leeway to define what that storybook world looks like based on the card in your hand. So whatever the element in your hand is, you're trying to play off other people's stories to put your card down in order to be able to get rid of your cards because the, the, the winning of the game is to get rid of all the cards in your hand. And the way you do it is to tell these believable and maybe outlandish things that fit into the story so that you can get rid of the card. You can't just randomly put the card down without having a story that goes to it. So you have to generate something. You have to create a product, which is kind of what we talked about in terms of creativity. But uh, you you keep doing that until you, you're out of cards. It's it's a fantastic place to sort of set your mind reeling in the direction of making up things or developing new things. That was, in fact, the very first storytelling non-RPG game I ever owned. I owned the first edition of that with the plain green and white cards. And I had a blast with that. Yeah. The first time I played it too, I loved it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's just a and then there's another one that I just saw recently because I was looking for games that are creative creativity games and there was one called Nano Fiction. Um I think it was Nano Fiction and Nano Fictionary, thank you. And it was a similar idea where you use the cards to tell the story and the story was what, you know, what got you through the game. So storytelling becomes a really big aspect to our you know, our, our creativity in games, especially, Brian, you talked about role-playing games. Role-playing games are pure creativity on the part of both the DM and the players within a certain uh, set of parameters, basically. So I'm wondering if it's the set of parameters, like, you know, if we're trying to define what, what makes a game creative as opposed to us bringing creativity to a game, it seems like it would be the parameters that are set in order to play within. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we're trying to set up, if, if you're trying to make a game that encourages creativity or re almost requires creativity, you almost have to have a certain level of openness to your system, almost like a sandbox kind of game like, like Minecraft or Skyrim or something where you have this open world kind of thing going on so that there's, within that open world, there's a certain set of, of possibilities that exist. And the more narrow those possibilities, the farther you get away from having to make a creative choice. Yeah. Because you mentioned checkers, Josue. I'm not sure that there really is that many strategies to checkers. So the world is closed down to a certain level. And your, your options for solution are very minimized. You get a chess and then suddenly you've got thousands of possibilities that are all very well cataloged in our you know chess databases and and scholarly books about chess and then so the things where you get the farther out from that the farther out from having limited possibilities seems to create more opportunity for creative intervention in the game 
yeah, the more paths there are to victory, the greater the chance for creativity. Yeah. 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 Because even in something like chess, you could, you could have, you know, 12,000 options, <laughs> right? Um, but at one point, like you made uh, the wrong move and then you're done and it's over. But in, in a sandbox game or a game that gives you that, you know, is lasts an hour long and everybody has multiple um, economies and different options for winning, there's like, you can, you can make a mistake and still come back from that and be, and, and try something else and try something different and react in many different ways. And I don't know, like, yeah, there's, there's so many paths that, that, that are available to you that, yeah, it's, again, it's, it's, it's encouraging creativity because but like like Brian said, I mean, the more options you have, that's it. I think that that's what it comes down to for me. So when you get a game that's like one of those uh, point salad kind of games, and uh, these are games yeah. by Stefan Feld and Uwe Rosenberg, anybody who sort of gives you multiple paths to victory, are we talking about creativity here? Are we are we building a, a creative system here in order to generate new solutions to the? I mean, there's only a certain number of solutions that exist for the problem, but within that, are we creative? Well, it depends. I mean, in games like Agricola, for instance, um, in the base game, there's very little creativity. There's a specific path to victory. I mean, frankly, you got to get as much stuff as you can. You, you can't specialize in any one thing and try a variety of tactics. Once you start introducing the cards into the game, you have to get creative and find ways that the cards interact with each other. It introduces a little more creativity to the game. Then you get into his later games like um, Caverna, it introduces even more options and invokes more creativity because there are even more paths to victory with that. Um, like I said, with Agricola, there's one path to victory. Get as many of everything as you can. He who dies with the most toys, or in this case, most animals cattle, and vegetables yeah. wins. Yeah. Okay. All right, so maybe not not necessarily. I mean, there are multiple ways to get that, but there is one end goal that you have. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I mean, in any I mean, other than getting points. in any Stefan Feld game, you, you pretty much you're you're working towards points. That's that's your way of doing it. So really, maybe having these multiple paths to victory doesn't necessarily mean you're coming up with creative solutions. So something like um, Munchkin, which I I do not enjoy playing those games that's like I, I wouldn't argue that you're being creative because everything seems so random I don't how do you guys feel about a game like that the more random it is the less creativity there is to it you're just trying to react to things it's more gotcha. tactics than strategy the more strategy there is the more creative it is <laughs> tactics you're just um, reacting to situations I agree with so that. So then strategy, yeah. basically, strategy requires creativity where tactics is kind of in the moment, I'm going to make one out of several allowed moves that I can make, but it's not necessarily that I'm, I'm looking towards an end goal. Do you have to have an end goal for creativity? I think it goes back to the problem solving thing, right? Like, like what is the problem in a game like Munchkin or a game that has just so many random elements? Like there's no way to see a clear outcome. I don't think because it's it's almost impossible. Well, there are levels to creativity. Like mm -hmm. I said, Agricola has very little creativity, and then you go up in the 
the style of game and Caverna has a little more creativity. It's not pure creativity, but there's a smaller, there's a larger amount of it. Pure creativity would be something like, um, like I said, D&D or uh, Once Upon a Time, a storytelling game where it's all about the creativity. Yeah, something where you've got to resolve the problem in whatever way you can and you have a, a pretty unlimited palette of possibilities even though it has to fit within this particular world you know you're not going to come up with a technological solution in a in a society that doesn't have technology per se but within that world you might have something that you could do that the dm is just completely mystified that even came up but the the party together came up with their own idea to solve the problem it's never about the end goal. It's about how you can get to the end goal. The more options you have for getting there, the more creative it is. Once upon a time has one end goal. Get rid of your cards. First one out wins. Yeah. There's a single end goal, but there are millions of ways of getting to that end goal, depending on the story you're telling. Yeah, and they're pretty much only limited by your own ability to to come up with stories based on the cards that are in front of you. Right. So then I wonder if there is something, I had this idea a moment ago and I, I hate that I lost it because I, <laughs> I saw the path, it was very clear to me. Um, I wanted to get into talking about how we can approach a game creatively, but the, the thing I was going to say about Munchkin is that Munchkin, the creativity is mostly on the part of the creator and not on the part of the players. But then I have a contradiction to that statement, which is that although we don't always recognize it, even though we're involved in a lot of static media, especially we as uh, members of the geek therapy group and, and being involved in just being, you know, we're just naturally geeks. Um, there is a side of static watching that requires creativity already. So the, the meaning that we bring to what we do is a creative act rather than being um, just that we're taking in a particular set of data and we're taking it in without like you get like I watch Star Trek and you watch Star Trek and we get the same thing out of it that's not really true because of the way we what we bring to the table when we watch those shows so um, there's something to it where we can bring a certain set of creativity in the situation that's not necessarily mapped out by the game itself and I have examples of that where it's you come into a game and it's not about the ability of the game to be creative. It's about the ability of the player to be creative as they address the situation. So I may come to a, a even, I mean, I can't imagine doing this in checkers, but I may come to a game of checkers and put a story over the top of the fact that we're playing checkers and my moves may have some meaning in that story. So I myself am bringing a creativity to the board as opposed to the board bringing a creativity to me. Well, I mean, there are two opposite ends of the spectrum, for instance, in video games. Um, on the far end of the spectrum, the non-creative is uh, an old um, uh, point-and-click game, which is Secret of Monkey Island. It is, a pure, it is a pure story. There is, but you are following that story beginning to end. The order in which you finish that story is variable, but it's going to tell the exact same story every time you play it. It is creative on their part, creating the story, but the player has no agency to create things. On the other hand, there's Minecraft, which if you're playing in non-pure creative mode, there is a game there in trying to survive. 
but the creative aspect is 90% of the game, which is building something unique. And that certainly is what Minecraft's all about. You see these people create servers of huge worlds that never existed before, and it's because we were able to take all these disparate elements and make them look the way we wanted to. You know, we had to put our artistic hand to what was going on. You mentioned Secret of Monkey Island, and then I thought about Space Ace and Dragon's Lair, because those games don't require any creativity on the part of the player, except just to choose one of several solutions that are, are put in front of us. So, Hostway, I know you have to go. Did you want to add anything more before you had to go? Uh, um, I'm so sorry that I have to leave early. Uh, I, I, I love doing this with you guys, so I, I hate to step out early. Um, but I'll just leave one thing here. Uh, it's food for thought. Hopefully you'll discuss it and I'll listen to it later, which is that I've talked to a lot of people who, when confronted with um, what we're talking about as creativity in a game, they find it so overwhelming that they don't know what to do and actually shy away from games that have too many options and they don't they just they just can't do it like they sometimes even the um what we what did we call it decision paralysis, analysis paralysis uh, last yeah. time analysis paralysis yeah yeah it was just it's just too much so i've i've talked to a lot of people who they hate games like skyrim or 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 the latest zelda and you know that applies to a lot of the games we're talking about here too because there's just too much and they don't know what path to take i'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that so yeah. I have to go. Well, we will we talk will talk amongst ourselves, and we you will come back to it and uh, hear our our answer. Sense of suspense for you. Dun dun dun. There we go. So, um, that's a good point. You know, we bring in analysis paralysis to this to the situation a little bit. Uh, I think that. Sometimes analysis paralysis, maybe it shows up when we get into a game that requires too many creative responses that we can't, we can't create. I don't know. That's uh, that's my theory going forward here, Brian. What do you think? There are two types of analysis paralysis when it's involved with you know very creative games, and one is, um, like you said, analysis paralysis because of a multitude of options that they can't settle on which one would be the best one. Um, and then there's the analysis paralysis where you can't think of one creative answer to it. Um, I know lots of people who despise those kind of storytelling games because they're put on the spot. They have to think of something. Someone who's extremely creative can just throw out a story with no problem. And they're trying to keep up with the story and figure out how they can, for instance, in Once Upon a Time, you have to interrupt someone's story with one of your cards to take over the story. And I know a lot of people who just can't think that quickly to come up with something to interrupt with. You know, those kind of things where, you know, you've you've thought of a, you know, you are in the middle of a discussion with someone and an hour later you think of the perfect comeback. And you're nowhere near. But in the moment you can't. Right, and you're nowhere near it, and the conversations aren't either already moved along or you've left the scene altogether. There are a lot of people for whom that happens in general conversation all the time. And they have a lot of trouble playing these kind of creative games because they just can't come up with things on the fly. So I think what we're learning about creativity, you know, in the sense that we're coming to this with uh, some doubt in our mind as to what creativity is. What we're learning is, at least within the concept of games, creativity is both invited by 
options invited by possibilities and also for those people who are maybe nervous and have some kind of inner criticality of their own abilities to handle situations or their own sort of uh, browbeating of themselves when they come up against um, a multiple solution path uh, it can it can shut things down basically so it a game can do both and it depends on the person coming in as to what's going to happen with a particular game you know we talk about minecraft i for you know i i love minecraft but at the same time i think that it's just too open ended for me to feel comfortable in knowing what to do i don't have a goal that i can set for myself very easily but most games I come to that have a sort of openness to them, I, I, I embrace them because I'm looking forward to the creative aspects of the game. How can I interact in this world? How can I make new solutions to problems? And maybe not all those solutions have been unforeseen. Like I, I think with Skyrim, you've pretty much got a situation where it, it's closed in some sense. The, all the solutions have, have been available to everybody in the same way. Um, you can't do something unique in the game that nobody else could do. But at the same time, that 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 palette is so unlimited seeming that at least within the game, you feel creative. You feel like you've come up with new ideas that you haven't been streamlined into uh, a particular process. Yeah, the the thing that the thing that really, I guess, affects people's um, comfort with a game is the amount of. Um, optimization that's possible um a lot of people who don't enjoy thoroughly creative games don't enjoy them because there are almost unlimited options there is no optimal path to victory whereas you know people who don't like those kind of games love stuff like um like power grid where the game is pretty much set there's there's some creativity involved but there are definite paths to victory and you can find optimal moves and the more potential for optimal play the more those kind of people are are comfortable with the game whereas people who are creative enjoy creative games more and might be even better at them but like me i love some i love most creative games but i am terrible at games that have optimal moves because i can't see the optimal moves very well i still enjoy the games but i'm not especially good at them Chess, I am terrible at chess. And that game is all about optimal moves. It is, and you have to sort of see patterns in a way that uh, you, you have to play it enough to see patterns, and you have to have a really good memory for those patterns, I think. So the the more I'm talking about this, the more I'm realizing that the... So games can limit themselves so much that they don't encourage a sense of creativity. You know, again... And I don't know if there's a difference in creativity and strategy right now as I'm talking about it. But in a game like War, there is no creativity. You are just, you are rotely playing the the future that's already been set for you because the cards are in the order that they're in and you're not going to have any real creativity in the game. You may make up some stories about what's happening between the two groups. You know, the I got an 11, you got a 5 or whatever. I guess an 11's a, what a queen. Uh, but no, it's an ace. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Either way, you may make up a story about that, but the game itself doesn't have any creative outcomes whatsoever. So it seems like you have to be able to make choices in order to have creativity in games. 
and the more I'm talking about it, the more I'm seeing that role-playing games do a better job of this than almost any other game. And I was especially thinking of Dreamfinder, or Dream Chaser, I'm sorry, that we uh, discussed a while back, um, which is, you know, you and I played this at PAX Unplugged last year, and we both came to it with a certain idea for what our story was going to be, not even really planning or knowing what the third person, our, our DM, was going to offer in terms of our story and trying to connect our stories. And as a result, we collaborated together with a set of really disparate and random information to create a story that was really compelling. And I don't know about you, but for me, it kind of stuck with me because there's there's a, sort of a mythology we created in that story that made a difference in the way I think about some things or the way I, the way I react to other people. So... I guess my point is uh, the more the more open-ended, the more creativity, but also the more analysis paralysis, the more need for strategy. And that kind of wraps it yeah. in a ball that, that connects it to the last episode, actually. Yeah. Actually, it um, the more creative the game, the less strategy there is. Because if you look at the most creative possible game, it's a bunch of people sitting around telling stories. I sit around and I sit down and tell my story beginning to end. Someone else tells their story beginning to end. And at the end, the person who told the most entertaining story wins. There's no, there are no guidelines. There's no strategy to the game. It's just who can tell the best story. That's the ultimate creative game is there. There's no structure. There's pure imagination used to create a thing. Baron Munchausen. Exactly. Baron Munchausen is a perfect example. But there's even a little structure to that game. There is, and I think the structure is needed in order to keep it from going completely awry. Which is why pure storytelling isn't a game in and of itself. You have to have structure to to have it be a game. So you have to balance how much creativity you want and how much structure you want. Chess is pure structure. Almost pure structure. Very little creativity. Baron Munchausen is very high on creativity, but with less structure than something like chess. Right. So the there seems to be almost a continuum here. So the less structure you have, the more opportunity you have to be creative. But as you get closer and closer to, you know, the abs- the, the the absence of any structure, you get closer and closer to a place where it's really hard to know what to do. So there's there's maybe each person that you would talk to would have some kind of quotient in which it would be the level of structure or non-structure that they need in order to react creatively creatively to a situation. That's fascinating. That That's something yeah. good for uh, game designers to think about because basically we're, we're talking about the degrees of separation between a player and the structure that's created and what degree is it that, re- that generates the most possible creativity, imaginative responses to a situation. Yeah, I think a good um, almost middle-of-the-road game between structure and story is uh, something similar to um, uh, Agents of Smirsh or uh, maybe um, Tales of the Arabian Nights. Those games where you tell a story as you're going forward, but there's a It's a pre-generated story, right? You don't really... You right. can't really, like, there's no outcome that isn't already foreseen. 
Well, there, yeah, there are outcomes to your decisions, but those decisions you have to make one way or the other. You still have decisions to make that can affect the outcome of the story, but those stories are written in stone. Okay, let me ask this. Th- those those outcomes those outcomes are Is written in stone. Choose your own adventure a creative activity. Um it is creative on the parts of the designers, not so less so on the part yes, of the player. Yes, because you've been given so much structure and you've been given a, an A or B door kind of situation or a Monty Hall kind of situation in order to right. get through that particular activity. The the creativity for the player comes in choosing which direction you want to take because you have an idea, an imagination of what the outcome should be. And then you make the decision, you find out what the outcome actually was. So there's a little creativity on your part in imagining what you think, imagining what you think the outcome might be. Yeah, okay. So the the last thing I want to bring up is this idea of of dealing with the inner critic because the, you know, when people talk about writer's block, they're really talking about the fact that an inner critic is causing them to feel stuck in their ability to create something. And so that that writer's block, I'm sure there's gamer's block just as well, which we've called analysis paralysis or a number of other things. But coming to a game with a creative state of mind seems to be an optimal way to play games. How do you think that we can come to a game, regardless of its own creativity potential? Because we've talked about the, the, the kind of the spectrum from really abstract games that only give you a few choices to really open sandboxy games that give you multiple options regardless of the game itself how can we come to a gaming table with creativity in mind well um again it depends on your comfort level with that for one thing someone who has very little experience or very little comfort level with creativity they you have to have their buy-in for it they have to just like um, someone who has an issue, they have to over any issue they have to overcome. They have to be willing to do so. Um, for instance, I know a lot of people who love creative games, who love party games, and they really don't like you know drier Euro games. I like those games, and I'm willing to learn how to play them better. If you're not willing to learn how to play them better, no force on earth is going to allow you to learn it for someone else's benefit. Um, so bringing creativity into games really depends on your desire to get better at that. Presumably when we come to the table and we play a game, like we'll talk, we'll talk about a dry Euro so that it, it makes a little more sense. Like, oh, I, the one I can think of right off the bat is The Village. The Village is a, a fantastic game. There's a little bit of a point salad going on where you're basically working to create generations of people to live and die and create products so that you can earn the most points on the board. And you're trying to kill off your generations of people after they're able to to sort of sacrifice their lives and work and effort for you as the game player. But it, when it comes to that, you wouldn't t- call that, you wouldn't call your responses to the game itself creative responses. But you can bring your own creative solution oriented mind to the game and as a result four people sitting down may create some story based on those characters that is not inherent to the game itself so what i'm talking about is how we come to a table and assuming that creativity is is something worthwhile for everyone assuming that we enjoy being in the process of creating how can we come to the table and be 
storytellers of the games that we're playing? How can we bring the story alive as people? Well, I guess it just takes um, practice. One of the things I've noticed is the more people read, the more creative they can potentially be. Because um, you opened yourself to new the ideas. The more people... Right. Um, the more variety of things you read, the more likely you are to be able to be creative. If you read one genre of book, you'll find yourself getting stuck in a rut. Um, if you read multiple genres, multiple authors, then it's more likely that you'll, you'll be able to see multiple ways of expressing yourself. Okay. So the, the, you're right. Practice. Basically exposing yourself to more situations where you need a creative response. Is that fair to say? Yes. And so even when we come to a table with a, a static game in front of us, one that has very little options, practicing our creativity by creating story with one another, by coming up with the, uh, you know, the random things we say during games, we, it seems like you're strengthening that creative muscle even outside of a creative game. Correct. Um, it's more difficult with more streamlined static games, but and I've I've seen people do it where they sit around and just randomly create stories based on what they're doing, um, especially with games like um, Settlers of Catan. Um, they'll they'll do that a great deal where they they come up with exactly what their sort exactly what their um, their civilization is doing. It becomes more prevalent whenever you get into games like. Um, uh, I can't remember the name of the game, but the various civilization style oh, games. Oh, like uh, Nations or um, uh, Through the Ages. Through the Ages. That was the game I was thinking of, yeah. It, it's it's still less likely in that scenario. So I guess in order to build that kind of creativity, you start off with games that are more heavily leaning towards static but have some creativity to them. And utilize that as a stepping stone to get more creative games added to it if you take someone who's used to static games and immediately throw them into something like baron munchausen they're going to be swamped with idea with with either a plethora of ideas or no ideas you have to baby step people into that yeah gradually. it's either going to open this entire like field to them where they can oh i can do something completely different here or it's going to shut them down because they feel like they are faced with too much in front of them. Right. It's just like taking someone who's used to party games and trying to introduce them to um, a Stefan Feld game. They're going to be like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. This is ridiculous. Can we just go play Pictionary? No, I have this great game called San Juan. Come on. We, we got to play it. <laughs> <laughs> now let's go play Terra Mystica. Oh, all right, so I, I think we understand creativity in gaming now, and in a sense that I didn't understand prior to our discussion. You know, I've been discussing, I've been, I've been reading a lot about creativity, and I just want to throw out some ideas for those people who want to learn more about creativity. Um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's book uh, about creativity is a fantastic resource, as is a book called Everyday Creativity, uh, which is edited by Ruth Richards from uh, from Harvard and Saybrook University. Um, these are people that were my go-to people for sort of learning what creativity is. And now as, 
as a group, you and I and Josue have come together and sort of developed a cartography or an understanding of games in terms of their relationship to creativity. And I'm kind of excited to go play a game now. <laughs> oh, I did want to talk about one game that's very creative, but has a game based okay. game base to it. And it's called a uh, Clayorama. It came out in uh, dragon magazine in September of 1987. The game master should know all the rules. There's one person who's moderating the game. Everyone else, they just tell, create a creature of some sort with this Play-Doh. So each person takes a different color of Play-Doh and makes a creature. And, you know, give it a name, what have you. Anything that's left over, just say, if you have any clay left over, put, put it aside. As you start, as you, as they introduce more and more of the game, you're going to take those creatures, give them a name, create a character with them, give them attacks. The leftover clay is then made into whatever kind of missiles they want, whether they be a few, a few large ones or a lot of small ones. And then basically around the table, you have a war with your clay creatures. <laughs> That's awesome. That's fantastic. You give there, there are a variety of attacks you can give them and you learn all this stuff as you're creating the game. So at, as the story, as the storyteller, as the game master, basically introduces elements to the game, you're going to add elements to your creature, add elements to the story, and then it's game time and everybody just fights. And one of those things, you know, lifting up your creature and dropping it on something to see if you can crush them, uh, throwing your missiles to see if you can take off limbs. And it's just a ton of fun. If you ever get the chance, um, Go on the internet and find it. There are plenty of PDFs out there. It's public domain now, as far as I know. I mean, people have published it all over the place, and uh, Wizards of the Coast has never told people not to do it because it's such an old game. But go out there and take a look for Clay hyphen Oh, Clayorama. Okay, I was trying to figure out how to spell it. I'm glad you spelled yeah. it for us. That that's, that's awesome. What I'm here for. I, uh, I that one I have to look up. That's fantastic. All right, well, it's been a productive discussion, I believe. I, I believe we can all walk away and, and uh, hopefully change our way of viewing our our hobby here. That's that's our goal here at Rolling for Change, is to help you change your view of the hobby into something that supports you in a way that hasn't supported you before. Um, you know, we're here to discuss and explore the areas of gaming that maybe lie invisible to us or just on the crest of our awareness and I think we've done that today with creativity. So that, that's been fantastic. Thank you, Brian. You're All welcome. right, so we'll see you next time on Rolling for Change. And uh, if you have comments, questions, concerns, ideas, creative input that you would like to offer, please come and check us out on our Geek Therapy page. We are also now part of Discord. And uh, you can look for us in the Geek Therapy group under Tabletop Gaming. And we have multiple other ways to reach us that you'll hear in just a moment. But once again, thank you so much for listening to Rolling for Change. And go out there and be creative as you roll for change. Have a wonderful day. Rolling for Change is a proud member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. If you have a geeky pursuit that you feel is meaningful to your life, whether it's watching, reading, or playing, the Geek Therapy Network explores all media for its transformative potential. Check out all of the amazing content at geektherapy.com. While you're there, drop into the forum and let us know how Rolling for Change is meaningful to you. You can also follow us on Twitter, 
we are at Roll for Change, or talk to us on the Geek Therapy Discord. Send your emails to gamers at rollingforchange.com. If you'd like our spiffy theme song, then go check out the rest. The band you are hearing is Rocket Scientists, and they can be found on Amazon and Bandcamp. Tell them Woody sent you. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, keep on rolling for change. <laughs>